Welcome to Overburden, the podcast for post-workers. I'm Brandy Hughes. And I'm Kevin Hitchings. Today we're going to talk about union dues and how your local spends them and how they can spend them. Yeah, start with how they're collected. And we're not going to really focus on what national does with them at the national level. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit, but more how they're used at the local level. Yeah, we'll save that for another time. So union dues are collected by the corporation off your paycheck, as I'm sure you've noticed. And, <laughs> and they are forwarded to the, the, the union. Um, so union dues are calculated to be 300% of the maximum hourly rate of the lowest classification in our bargaining unit. So whatever they make per hour, three times that. And it's the same whether you're part-time or full-time, which... You know, there's been some debate about that. About whether it's fair because part-timers get less hours, make less money. Yeah. And, it's and they're a, still paying full union dues. And it's a big issue for terms, casual employees. Oh, yeah. I've seen terms go, I only worked one day and I still paid full union dues and my paycheck is non-existent. I've seen paychecks of less than a dollar. Yeah. And it's just, unfortunately, the way it works out, there's been lots of debate on, on this and... Uh, yeah, no real movement on a good formula, basically because it, you know, we've all been through it. Right. Uh, it's kind of accepted that it's going to be rough at the beginning. It would be a large hit to union finances if we didn't do it, but uh, if we did find a way to make union dues less for new employees, we'd have to find a way to offset that by raising dues on everyone else. Right. And there's just too much debate to really put it through in any way. I personally wouldn't mind paying a couple dollars a month more to ease the burden on some new people but well but then you have to make rules as to like when does that apply like if their paycheck is less than this amount do we waive their dues you do uh, it by a percentage you know. is the main argument or the main uh oh, like thing that pro, i've heard like prorated based on your hours yeah rate. but again there's no agreement on that and i don't see anything too. coming anytime soon um that being said like there are ways to have your union dues waived but you basically have to not be making money well, there's the no set rule for that. And here, we usually have it. So if you're getting no income at all from the corporation, yeah, we will consider waiving it on a case-by-case basis. Right. And that your, your local has to basically present that and vote on it, and everyone has to accept that, yes, we're going to waive their dues for this period of time. Right. A lot of times that happens when someone's on a, a long-term leave. Right. Usually. Uh, and if you don't waive it, right now your dues come off every second check. What happens is you'd come back, but you'd still owe dues for the time you're gone. So they take it on every check until you're caught up. Yeah, you end up paying uh, union dues in arrears. Uh, anyone who's been on parental leave knows what that's like. So you're basically paying twice as much. <laughs> right. Or twice as often, I guess. And it's different from, like I said, that's a, a decision by your local. And there's lots of reasons for even when someone's not getting any income, especially if the union's been doing a lot of work for them while they're gone. If they're on a long-term disability, for example, and they've been denied... The union is doing a lot of work right. to, to you know, put into appeal and fight that. So they're doing a, a large amount of work for you, but not paying for it. Some people view that as unfair, but I don't want to yeah. debate the merits of that. That's up to individual locals. I always find it funny when people complain about how much union dues are, and they go, what do I get for it? You know, what does the union do for me? The, and my response is always, what do you do for the union? Because you get out what you put in, right? Well, I think we see with the two-tier <laughs> wage system... They would love to be paying us way less. And, you know, if there was no union, I'm sure the tier two wage system, the newer employees would be starting a minimum, not 18 or whatever they're at now. 
So that's what the union does for you. And you minimum know? in Saskatchewan is eleven thirty-two. Yeah. Just went up a pathetic amount. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we'd be making provincial minimums if it wasn't for the union. So yeah, you're uh, you're paying some dues, but yeah. all the benefits you're getting them getting for it and the wages you're getting for and it. The job protections and the safety and the you know so much so many things. Yeah, there's a local uh, grocery, well national grocery chain chain, and in the city, they just basically rebranded a bunch of stores to make them non-unionized and i know one uh woman in particular who was working there for almost 30 years making 20 something to 24 dollars an hour right. and they flipped it to basically the same store non-union uh she's gone from full-time to or people that stayed she took a rather weak buyout um but the people that stayed went from full-time to no guaranteed hours and 14 dollars an hour down from 25 and this is after 20 some odd years Right. So that's not happening to you, and that's what the union does for you, if nothing else. <laughs> you're not going to name the grocery store chain? You're just going to let them figure it out? Um, no, I don't think we need to name or shame <laughs> any stores, but uh, I don't go to Freshco if that helps you. <laughs> or the affiliated ones that are like Freshco. That's the problem. There's so many stores that are, you know... In that group. Yeah. yeah. What's the Sobeys chain called? Uh, I don't know, but it's Sobeys, Freshco, Safeway, all of those are the same group now yeah yeah i'm not sure how they'll but there only are really two or three major supermarket suppliers in the city or in the country yeah so it's really hard to avoid but that's what the union does for you so yeah is that you're not having your wages cut in half and your hours slashed yeah yeah after <laughs> 25 years and uh 20 something an hour i think it was a forty thousand dollar payout which sounds like a lot but it's really nothing when you've you know, what job do you go to after that? Um, so anyway, <laughs> so the corporation collects that money. They give it to the union. Uh, the national office keeps 64% of that to go into their general fund. 10% goes into our defense fund. So that's for strikes, uh, essentially to pay, pay strike wages. And then 26% of that is returned to the local. Um, also, depending on the size of your local, there's another amount that uh, you would get from national. So if you have less than 250 members, you receive $250 per month. If you have between 251 and 1,000 members, you get $1 per member. And if you have more than 1,001 members, you'll get $1,000 per month for your local. Yeah, it just basically puts a cap on it. Right. And then there's another $2 a month they collect just for the life insurance. That that, that's up. the basic life insurance that we all get. Yeah. So in addition to that, some locals, not all, have a, a local assessment, which is basically just added money, that, a little extra dues they take off, and National collects those the same as they do everywhere else, and 100% of that comes back to the local. So it's 26% of your regular union dues come back to the local, plus 100% of the assessment. In Saskatoon, it's an extra $9.14, I believe, that we add to the union dues that comes back. Yeah, and those... those dues are to cover other expenses that your local has uh, like if you have full-time officers or um, the rent might be high on your union office or something like that so as i said we're not going to go a whole lot into what national does with with their money other than as i mentioned that 10 percent goes to the defense fund uh, the 26 percent that comes back to the locals is governed under 9.37 of the union constitution uh, which basically tells us how we're allowed to spend those union funds so they're not abused and sent, uh, spent by the executive partying in Vegas. Aww. Although I think we should put an amendment in for that. 
Brand and I are both on <laughs> the local executive. Uh, what happens in Maui doesn't necessarily stay in Maui, so I think we could make that rule. We'll okay. put that in the bylaw. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> good luck getting that passed. <laughs> so nine thirty-seven. I'll just might as well quote it here, and we'll go through point by point on what the local can actually spend money on. Okay. It says all local shall use union rebate funds for union purposes, such as, and such as makes it sound kind of vague, but you'll see later that yeah, it's, just wait. it's really not. <laughs> So the first one is payment of per capita to local labor councils. Here we have the Saskatoon District Labor, labor Council, and they collect you know a couple cents per member per month. So this goes to basically local union activities. Right. Usually, the labor councils are a little more politically involved as well. In our constitution, we're not allowed to support any political parties, but we can support campaigns and issues. But the labor councils are the ones that really get more involved in the politics, and they will make sure that we have. Uh, politicians at whatever level to support labor issues. And we're required to be part of the Labor Council, are we not? Yes, you are. You're, we are required to contribute to the right. local Labor Council. Okay. Um, also, union funds can be used for local education seminars. So if you're running a, a training or a, an education, like a basic shop steward course in your local, um, you can use the funds to pay for that. Right. And we... On five-day educationals, I believe the region pays for all of that, but on three-day educationals, in the Prairie region at least, the locals are responsible for some of that, so that would fall under this too. So it's, if you had to bring in a, a facilitator from another local, would yeah. that cost Yeah, for sure. that? Okay. For sure. We've, we've never done that. We've discussed doing that before. Yeah. It's never usually, happened. But. Usually we just do ones we can handle here, but I guess it could happen that you might have a lot of people. Yeah, so their, their transportation, their hotel, and their... Um, per diem. Their per diem. I always want to say per cap, but yeah, per diem. Next one, salary for full-time officers. I'm going to do two of them here. The next one is payment of salaries for leave for union business, which really would include part-time officers or anyone that's booked off on an ad hoc day. So right. in Saskatoon, we have a, a local president who's full-time and anyone who's been in the office knows we need a full-time president it's crazy his phone never stops ringing <laughs> yeah and yeah it is not a nine-to-five job uh we also have some grievance officers i'm uh, guilty of, of phoning him at 8 p.m <laughs> we have grievance officer time and our secretary treasurer has a little bit of time but there's always uh emergency things that come up where someone just has to be booked off a day uh, it could be a wcb appeal that's really in-depth uh, consultation. So, well, consultation is employer paid, so we never pay for consultation. That's right. right. Yeah, you're right. Well, letter carriers don't. RSMCs well, or, sometimes we have to pay Or if we on. were having, like when we had our um, union-only health and safety meeting. Yeah, anything that's that's required union work that we need to book someone off for. Oh, so these funds can be used for postage, so anything that you need to, your local needs to mail. Um, your telephone, fax, or internet. And, and generally that would include um, any of the utility bills that are uh, required for the running of your office, right? Yeah, office expenses are in here later. Yep. But uh, rent, of course. Administrative fees to financial institutions, so your banking fees. Of course, if you're gonna have a bank account, you need to do those. So those are, of course, allowed to be paid with union funds. And if you have to buy checks and that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. Uh, as you said, rent. Um, expenses for meetings of the local executive committee or other committees. So this is where if your committee or your meeting was required to be in Maui for some reason. <laughs> for mental health reasons. Yeah. 
Um, or like in current times, I think that you might need to rent space because you need a larger space than maybe you needed before because of social distancing requirements with COVID going on. Well, right now we have a, a Zoom account and that's required yes. for our meetings. So the Zoom account would be under meetings for local executives. And that's worked out beautifully, I think, like doing them virtually and, and the fact that you can vote using Zoom and all of that. It's just, it's, it has resolved so many of the issues of trying to hold meetings in person. Yeah. So anything like that that's required for a meeting would be under that. Special campaigns approved by the National Executive Board. So there's a lot of things that this covers. Um, we have our community power, our green power initiatives. I always call it green power for some reason, but it's community power. It's initiative. Decopo. Decopo. And our Save Canada Post campaign that went out a few years ago. A lot of these campaigns, we sent requests to National when we did things like Save Canada Post, and they partly paid for it. Uh, this they, is, didn't they send us a bunch of swag, too? Yeah, some things. They'll send us stuff sometimes. This is where around uh, election times, national elections, you'll often have issues that come up that we want to push. And like I say, we can't endorse a single party, but you can endorse an issue, like Save Canada Post was a huge issue. Right. And that was one that the conservatives feel that it was so powerful. Our, our momentum was so powerful that they feel it cost them that election, don't they? Uh, not cost them the election, cost them several seats. Okay. Yeah, it hurt them across the board, but there was, we talked about this in a podcast or two ago. I think so. I, I think it was four or seven or somewhere in that range where the, the seats were lost directly because of the Save Canada Post campaign. It's amazing that you still see those signs in people's windows. You know, it's been years and they still have them up. Yeah, there's probably five of them on my road. <laughs> uh, another use of those union rebate funds is bereavement tribute for a member of the locals. So if someone has passed away, you could use that money to send flowers or some other token to their family. Or um, or if one someone in your local, their family member dies, you can send them flowers or something. We used to do this in the local. Uh, in but local. yeah, we've got several hundred members and it was really hard to keep track of everybody and then someone would be offended because you know their mother father or someone died a few months ago and we missed it it's just so yeah. we stopped doing it it's kind unfortunately. of unfortunately track of yeah. all the family of all the members it's a nice thing to do but yeah local. the executive just can't hear about or keep track of everything that happens so we thought if we can't apply it evenly we're just not going to do it anymore and, so. and i mean it is it is hard not to offend someone with that one because yeah you can't catch them all financial support for trade union movements so if the sdlc saskatoon labor council saskatchewan federation labor or something like that or another labor group has a campaign running uh we can contribute to that usually it's a donation yeah um there's things like the sfl uh labor summer camp we have here where children go it's a really neat camp. We usually only have one applicant, if any, a year. Uh, maybe we'll talk about this in the summer when it happens, if it's not or COVID. Or before the summer. Yeah. yeah, it's actually a great camp. I know uh, at least one member who sent their, their kid to it. But the first thing you do at this camp is they sit down in a group and they negotiate the collective agreement for the camp. And the kids make an That's agreement with awesome. the camp counselors on how the camp's going to run. And they basically spend a, a week or two um, learning how to be activists as young young kids so excellent so things like that we usually uh, contribute to stuff like that or uh, there's a few other campaigns and we can send donations usually to those rental and meeting rooms this would happen in locals that don't have a regular office and need a space 
or, or don't have a big enough office, big enough office, or when we do uh, ratification votes or demand votes or things like that, come around when negotiations happen. And negotiations can actually get pretty expensive too, because a lot of times national campaigns are linked with that. Every time a new contract comes up, there's always expenses linked to that, because we always want to put extra pressure on the on the employer, of course. And there are things we're required to do, like have these extra meetings and right. and whatnot. And, and those are absolutely necessary because it's, as we've said before in previous episodes, it's important that the local members get to make these decisions and that it's not decided higher up in the union. It's grassroots and it has to be the members on the floor. Right. Right. Um, you can also spend those uh, fees on legal fees. Hopefully if, you don't have to. <laughs> if they're required. Um, I can't even recall when we've come across that in our local. I don't I'm think sure we have that I know of. Um, office maintenance, so anything that is required to keep your office running. Uh, I know we recently had to replace the sink. <laughs> yeah. But most rental agreements, you're literally just renting the space. Everything in it is addition, additional. So if your heater blows, that's the renter's problem, you know? Hmm. Interesting. So we had the water heater yeah. go a few years ago. Our rental renter, our landlord is really good here, and we've even had an entire walls built at offices and he doesn't charge us but normally that would be that would increase the rent normally and I think that's why we're still here is because it's a good deal and it's pretty low rent to begin with to be honest but well yeah and he's willing to make improvements to keep us maybe we shouldn't say that in case he's listening oh. or her uh, expenses highly yeah, reasonable they're really high I don't know if we can keep affording this place but we'll try so <laughs> I kind of doubt he's listening in but just in case but yeah any kind of office maintenance that uh, would happen you know, after most elections, we change the locks in the office, that kind of thing, just to be safe. Local printing fees, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, printing supplies and office equipment. So printers, computers, things like that you can use it for. And then all other expenses approved by the National Executive Board. So if there's anything else you want to spend money on, you can always just ask National. Yeah, and, and, and better safe than sorry. Because, you know, once they've approved it, then you know you're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to get into any trouble. You can always check with regional and, and whatnot, too, just to see. There's usually past precedence past for something. Precedent. And it may be, you know, these are pretty limited, but there's also a little bit of gray area in some things. Uh, meeting expenses is the big one. You know, does lunch count as a meeting expense? You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Uh, in our local, it usually as doesn't. A, as a hungry postal worker, I think it should. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've had we've had donuts and stuff brought into meetings, but that's always paid for out of out of pocket by one of the executives. Yeah, somebody just um, usually buys them. The only time we usually do this is if it's a full day meeting. We'll bring in some kind of food during the day. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, well, if you book the people off, would you owe them a per diem if you don't provide lunch? No, not usually. Because it's in their own local. Yeah. So earlier, I said that. Uh, Expenses such as made it pretty vague, but this is where it makes it unvague. <laughs> it tightens it up. So it, it says, and I'm quoting here, upon failure by a local to ab abide by the provision of this section, the National Executive Board shall automatically stop the payment of the local's per capita tax. So that's that 26% um, of, of your union dues that you get back from National that would be held by national if you are found to be not obeying these rules, which is why I say better safe than sorry. If you're not sure if it's allowed, check with national. 
<laughs> and like I say, like, and if it's something minor, say we bought lunch and we weren't supposed to or something like that, it's not like they're going to stop your payments right away. You'd probably get a slap for that. But this is basically... But don't do it, do it again. Yeah. This is to <laughs> stop abuse right. of the fees. But that would make it really hard for you to pay your rent or do your mailing or keep your office running. So you, you don't want that to happen. <laughs> I think you'd go into kind of a receivership situation where National would pay the required bills for you. You just wouldn't have any control on it. They, they will manage your money if they put you in receivership. Yeah. yeah. And there's other things in the Constitution where if you're not filling out proper reports by your secretary, treasurer, and whatnot, they can just put you under the care of another local. They yeah, there, that as well. there are clauses in the Constitution that state how often the the local secretary treasurer has to make certain reports to the national secretary treasurer. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, then you're, you're going to get in trouble. So there are ways that locals can spend outside of this. Uh, the main thing is these rules apply to your rebate from your union dues. If you get money from outside your union dues, then that doesn't apply. So if you have a local social committee that does raffles or stuff like that, or if the local sells t-shirts or something and makes money from that, um, then that money doesn't really have restrictions on it anymore. You can spend those how you want. Because it's part of the national constitution, your membership can't even vote to override these rules. You know, there's some things that, even though we're a grassroots membership, you gotta remember the constitution was approved by the membership and these rules were created by the membership. So local can't just override what's in there. Um, vote, you could vote to ask National of if course, you can yeah. spend this money, but you yeah. can't just vote to do it and expect National to be like, oh, yeah, that's fine because you voted on it. No, because they're making sure that it's not contradicting anything in the Constitution. Yeah, And there only are three officers required in a local, the president, the vice president, and the secretary treasurer. If you had a small local, they may be the only ones that aren't showing up to meetings. So if you were allowed to just vote to bypass, you know. Oh, so was... every meeting would have like steak dinners and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's there for good reason. And uh, like I say, because the constitution was approved by the membership. But if you want to come down to the local office and discuss it, bring a beer. <laughs> we do have coffee. <laughs> bring some Baileys and we will be happy to discuss it with you. For sure. And we'll be back next week to discuss some other exciting issue with you. So, uh, most of... <laughs>